Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 25 and make our way through chapter 5, verse 2. In our last study, we looked at what Christ taught us regarding no longer walking as the rest of the world walks, as those who don't know Christ uh, live or behave. We're, We're to no longer live or behave the way we used to. He described those as walking in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. And then he said, who being past feeling, they've gone beyond conviction or shame and have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness. So this is Paul's a description of the world, the unbelieving world in his day. And his whole point is, we're no longer to be living like that. That, that was the former lifestyle of those in Ephesus. It was the former lifestyle of many of us as well. We're no longer to live that way. We, are, we on the contrary, are to put off the old man that is corrupt through deceitful lust and put on the new man who was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And here in verse 25, Paul begins to tell us what that looks like. So this is where we get down to the real nitty gritty. This is where we get to the rubber meeting the road, so to speak, in our, our lives as Christians. Paul's gonna begin to get very, very specific with us about how we are to behave, how we are to live uh, as Christians in this world. And so let's read, uh, beginning in verse 25 of chapter four. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. And so here Paul now launches into what it really means to put off the old and to put on the new. The old are are the things that we formerly did before we were in Christ. But now because we're in Christ and Christ is in us, we are new men and women. And so we are to 
uh, put on the things that are consistent with the new life. So he begins with lying. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You know, the followers of Jesus Christ should be known in their community as honest, reliable people whose word can be trusted. Uh, A Christian who is a deceiver, a Christian who is known uh, as a liar, this is just completely inconsistent with what it is to be a Christian. I mean, I think even people who are, are not Christians or maybe even possibly hostile to Christianity, they would know almost intuitively that a person who is a deceiver but yet claiming to be a Christian isn't really much of a Christian. Because, of course, Jesus is all about the truth. He is the truth. And he calls us as his people to be people of truth. So we are to put away lying. And we are to speak the truth with our neighbor. And then Paul reminds us, for we are members of one another. So now know this. I know you know this. Let me remind you, though. Uh, we, We have kind of a twofold thing going here because we're talking about our neighbor could be anybody, really. Could be our our neighbor, literally. The people who live in our neighborhood could be the people that we work alongside of. The people that we associate with or come into contact with out in the world. And, And this is, everything that Paul's saying here has some bearing on the way we look to the world at large. But it also applies to ourselves together as, as the body of Christ. So we're to have a good reputation in regard to the truth and honesty with the world outside, but we're also, of course, to be honest with each other. We're to be truthful toward one another. One uh, writer put it like this, for we are members of one another And then he said, Paul brings us back to his doctrine of the church being the body of Christ and implies that a lie is a stab into the very vitals of the body of Christ. For fellowship is built on trust, and trust is built on truth. So falsehood undermines fellowship while truth strengthens it. That is so true, isn't it? We, we need to be honest with each other. We need to make sure we're being truthful to one another because we can't ever expect to, to trust one another and, and thereby enjoy the depth of fellowship that God wants us to have if there's deceit among us. Uh, there was an ancient writer, one of the early church fathers, he, he put it like this. He said, if the eye sees a serpent, does it deceive the foot? If the tongue tastes something bitter, does it deceive the stomach? And of course, he's showing the absurdity of of such a thing. But we have to think in terms of us being a body. You know, could you imagine walking down a path and and suddenly you you see a rattlesnake in the path and and the eye says, "Uh, I'm not going to tell the foot that snake's there. Uh, I don't care if the snake bites the foot. It's not going to bite me. I'm the eye. I'm way up here. 
Well, of course, that's never going to happen, right? But it would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? And so, likewise, it would be ridiculous for us to try to deceive one another or to be acting deceptively in our relationships to one another as the people of God. So Paul says, putting away lying, which really just simply means stop doing it. Stop lying. Don't lie anymore. Now, I would imagine that all of us, of course, we've all lied at times, no question about it. And, and probably as Christians, we've, we've lied as well. Why do people lie? Well, sometimes people lie out of uh, animosity toward others. They they want to hurt somebody, so they tell lies about them. That's one reason why people lie. Uh, people lie also because they, they feel that if they told the truth, they wouldn't look as good or they wouldn't be as accepted, maybe. So they uh, tell lies about themselves, about who they are, where they've been, what they've done, things like that, uh, out of, sort of out of an insecurity to get people to think more highly of them. Insecurity is really, most of the time, just another form of pride. But, you know, wanting people to think something about you, um, that it, it's really not true, but yet it, you're going to look better in their eyes. But, but Paul says dispense with all of that. Don't, don't, uh, don't be doing that. Just speak the truth. Tell the truth to each other. And of course, earlier we read, uh, we're to speak the truth in love when we speak it, but we're to, we're to be honest. Put away lying. Stop lying. Just don't do it anymore. Now, uh, for some people, it's, it's a little more challenging because people develop patterns and, and habits in their lives. And some people have, have cultivated uh, an entire lifestyle of deception. But when you come to Jesus, listen, there's going to be a change there. And it might take a while to, to work that out of your system, but the Lord's going to do it. And you need to just keep giving that over to him. And, you know, sometimes people have a tendency to, they're, they're not lying in, in the sense that they're necessarily trying to deceive you, but, you know, oftentimes they embellish the story. They make it more than it actually was. And, and that is not good either. You know, I've, I've heard people, they, they want to give an impressive testimony. And so they embellish their story. They add things to the story that, you know, that, that really wasn't the case. Um, I, I, I've heard people do that. You know, they've kind of gone back and, you know, maybe they went to jail once, but then it becomes like a prison sentence, you know. Maybe they got a parking ticket, but then, you know, somehow it was actually like a drive-by shooting they were involved in or something. And, you know, it's like, okay, wait, 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 you know. No, we, God, God doesn't need your embellishment in order to touch people's lives. So we need to have integrity. Years ago, there was a person who became very famous in uh, the Christian community, uh, and, and he was known as the guy who came out of witchcraft. And he was supposedly a warlock, and he had all these stories, and he wrote these books and all of this. And, you know, come to find out uh, some years later, after he had spoken to tens of thousands of people and written books and sold a bunch of them, come to find out it was all made up. It was all embellished. He was just telling stories to make himself look better and seem more important and to lend more credibility to his 
um, message. God help us. We should never do anything like that. Stop lying. Secondly, he says, be angry and do not sin. Now, this is not a command to be angry. It's simply the recognition that sometimes anger is appropriate and there is an anger that is not sinful. It's what we would call a righteous anger. And there's a time and a place for a righteous anger. We just have to be careful not to cross over the boundary into an unrighteous anger. And it's a very thin line between the two. Now, Jesus, of course, uh, is a good example of someone who expressed the right kind of anger. Jesus, you remember, he went into the temple which was his father's house, which was a house of prayer, was intended to be a house of prayer, but he found that there were people in there that had made it a den of thieves. And so he turned over the, uh, the tables of the money changers. He made a, a whip of small cords. He drove them out of the place, and he said, you know, get out of my father's house. He, he was angry, but it was a righteous anger because they were taking financial advantage of God's people. They were ripping off the people of God. And so Jesus there demonstrated a righteous anger. Paul demonstrated a righteous anger toward the false teachers who sought to lead the new converts into spiritual bondage. And so Paul would uh, speak out against these false teachers. And they were trying to put people under the Mosaic law and the, the primary aspect of the law they were focusing on was circumcision. And at one point, Paul says regarding these false teachers, he said, you know, as they're all carried away in their circumcision, I wish they would just castrate themselves. Now, that's pretty harsh. That's pretty sharp. But that was the righteous indignation toward those who were seeking to lead people astray from the truth. And so there's a time and a place for that. There are plenty of things around us today that we should be righteously angry about. And, and I want to say something here that I think needs to be corrected a little bit. We need to, to get the balance back because I think it's been lost. In our desire to, to move away from that, that you know, constant presentation of God as being a God of wrath and judgment and uh, ready to punish sinners and all that, we, we tend to swing the pendulum over to the other side. We want to emphasize that God is love and his love and his mercy and his grace and, and we do want to emphasize that, but we can't, we can't lose the balance. We have to remember that God is love, yes, but he, you know, true love is going to be angry at certain things. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. You know, honestly, when I think, um, when I think of some of the legislation that's coming down in this country and in this state that is so detrimental to children... And I think of some of the, the perverted people in Sacramento and in D.C. who are putting forth this legislation to teach, uh, you know, kindergartners, sex education and, and this kind of stuff. I get righteously indignant about that. I pray, God, deal with those people. God, you know, prevent them from prospering in their attempts at evil. So th there's a time and a place to, to be angry. When we hear about the, the beheading of innocent men, women, and children 
by the Islamic State. That's the kind of thing that ought to make us angry. That's, that's the right kind of anger. We can and should be angry over those types of things. Righteous anger will stir us to needed action. And so we want to always maintain that balance. Yes, God is love. We believe that. We preach that. We live that. Yes, God's grace is what saves us. There's no question about that. But let's not forget that God's also righteous. He's holy. He's just. And he will, as he declared, he will one day judge sin. And we know he will because he judged it already on the cross of Jesus Christ. And for those who put their faith in Christ, their sin has been judged. But for those who have rejected Christ, there's a judgment coming that will fall upon them because they didn't receive the judgment that Christ took for them. Uh, John Stott, in his Ephesians commentary, he said this. And I think it's interesting that John Stott would say this because he, John Stott was a well-known British evangelical leader known all around the world. And... um, he was very, very balanced, and he wasn't known for like a hellfire and brimstone kind of approach to his preaching at all. But he said this. I found it interesting. He said, there is a great need in the contemporary world for more righteous anger. We human beings compromise with sin in a way in which God never does. In the face of blatant evil, we should be indignant, not tolerant, angry, not apathetic. But then he went on to say this. At the same time, we need to remember our own fallenness and our constant proneness to intemperance and pride. Consequently, we always have to be on our guard and act as censors of our own anger. If we are wise, we shall be slow to anger, remembering that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The much needed balance there, okay? There's a place for righteous anger, but we have to be careful because uh, it's easy to drift over into that other side where the anger becomes sin rather than being righteous. How do I avoid that? Well, I, I, I never should have that, that righteous indignation based upon some self-righteousness in me. Or some idea that I have some moral superiority to somebody else. I have to always keep in mind that I am also a sinner. And God has had mercy on me. So we have to, uh, you know, somehow be able to, to um, judge a situation and, and righteously be angry at it. But not cross over that thin line into the place where we're sinning. And so be angry but do not sin. So most anger, of course, is sinful anger. Most anger is rooted in bitterness and uh, hostility toward people, frustration at people. And of course, this is the thing that the apostle is primarily talking about. Um, Don't sin through anger. We, we have a ton of anger in our culture today. Many, uh, many people in anger management courses, they were, they were um, actually assigned to those courses by judges. Uh, people, issues uh, that have to do with domestic violence or workplace violence or, you know, things like that. 
So this should never be the situation with us as God's people. We shouldn't be seen as angry people. We might be angry occasionally at certain things, but we need to be humbly angry. But our, our general demeanor is, is one that would not be identified as angry. So be angry, do not sin, uh, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. We're not to hold on to things. You know, we, we have to let things go. Over the years, you, you learn in a marital situation, for example, you learn that, you know, you've got to let things go. So often we're, we're tempted to hold on to things, though. I know the times in my marriage when I have decided I'm not going to let this go. I'm going to keep this argument going. I'm not going to apologize. I'm going to make her apologize. And I've done that occasionally, and it never goes well. <laughs> it never goes well. So, you know, as time goes on, you realize, no, we just got to get this dealt with. We gotta, um, we've got to not let the sun go down on our wrath. Why? Because when we do that, we give place to the devil, and the devil loves that. He's just right there. He's looking for an opportunity. The moment you say in your heart, I'm not going to forgive that person, the devil's right there to go, gotcha, good. You know, you don't realize he's right there doing it, but that's exactly what he's doing. And then he's going to make this situation more and more uh, bitter, and you're going to become more and more resentful, and to the point where you're just, there's, there's going to be hatred that will ensue from that. And so we don't want to give any place to the devil. Be angry. Occasionally, there's that place for the righteous anger. But for the most part, anger is sinful. Have nothing to do with it. Don't give place to the devil. And then he says, let him who stole steal no longer. This, of course, is the eighth commandment. The eighth commandment in the Ten Commandments the eighth is you shall not steal. Some of you, Paul says, used to be thieves. You were in the habit of ripping people off. No more. That's not the way we conduct ourselves as Christians. And there seems to be nothing worse in the, in the eyes of those outside than Christians who are dishonest and Christians who rip people off. And, and I've heard over the years stories from people who have known Christians who have ripped them off. Guy's got a construction company, got a truck with a big fish on it. I love Jesus construction. <laughs> I'll come to your house. I'll do anything you need me to do. And, um, and then they, they, they don't do the work and they rip you off. Or they've got a bunch of employees, they never pay them, and then they skip town. This kind of stuff happens. This has happened over and over again. That's, that's stealing. That's ripping people off. We're not to be doing that as God's people. We're not to be stealing. We're not to be taking advantage of people financially in any way. We're, we're to have total integrity in these kinds of things. God help us. Because, again, these are the things that um, man, the world looks on and says, you know, why would I want to become a Christian? 
What's any different about Christians? They, they rip people off all the time. And unfortunately, there's some truth to that. But let it never be the case with us. We can't control what other people do, but let it never be the case with us. And then he says, rather than stealing, as you previously did, now you're to be working with your own hands that you can give to those in need. So what Christ does is he takes people from being um, takers and he makes them givers. That's how radical the transformation is. You, you used to be in the business of ripping people off. Now God's got you in the business of blessing people, taking care of people, helping people out who are in need, people uh, who are less fortunate. And you see, this is the kind of transformation that Paul's talking about. Years ago, I knew a man, it didn't have to do with uh, the subject of stealing, but just in, in a more general sense, the, talking about the transformation. I knew a man, he was part of the church here for many years, and he was very interested in the things of um, the nation of Israel, the, the Jewish state, and had a great passion for Israel. And he was a sculptor, and he was able to make these amazing busts of uh, the different prime ministers of Israel and things. And, you know, so anyway, he just had this, this intense interest and passion in Jewish things. And so one day I just was curious and I asked him about that. I said, so are, are you Jewish? I mean, what, what's the connection here? And he said, oh no, I'm not Jewish. He said, but actually before I was a Christian, I was very, very anti-Semitic. I, I hated Jewish people. And I, um, you know, I went out of my way to express that. And he said, but when I came to Jesus, God completely changed my heart. And I want the, the love that I have for them now to be equal to the animosity I had to him before. So I just want to give all that I can to show my support and all that. Think, wow, that's what happens when somebody comes to Christ. There's that kind of transformation that takes place. So you go from being a liar to a person who tells the truth. You go from being a person who's always angry and easily enraged to being a, a person who's not like that. You know, before I was a Christian, I, I was angry. I was angry about a lot of things. And I had bad habits as an angry person of breaking things. And it was bad because you break things, you got to pay for them to get them fixed. And, you know, I was too stupid to think about that before I put my fist through something. And then I realized, great, okay, now I got to repair this. Um, and I used to fight all the time just because of that anger that was in me. But you know, when I came to Christ, he just, he took that out of me. He, he just changed that. That's what he does. That's what he does for us. And that's what needs to be seen by the world and experienced by us as we are God's people together. He goes on and he says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers? No corrupt word. Now, speech is the unique thing that we enjoy as human beings. This is the unique gift that God has given to us, the ability to speak. Did you know in an average lifetime, the average person will spend 10 to 12 years of their life speaking? 
Think about that. 10 to 12 years. That's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year for you know, 10 to 12 years, all speaking. How many words could that possibly be? I don't know, a lot. But think about it in relation to this. Jesus said, for every idle word you speak, you will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Whoa, that's scary. That's frightening. People say, I don't need Jesus Christ. I'm just fine. I haven't really done anything all that bad. Really? Wait till they start rolling the tape. I said that? Well, I don't remember saying that. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot more to come. Ten years worth. And that's for people who aren't preachers. I mean, I wonder how long preachers, uh, you know, <laughs> ours is probably more like 15 to 20 years or something like that. But Paul says, for us now, as God's people, let no corrupt word. The word corrupt here is a word that means rotten or rotting. It doesn't necessarily refer to profanity or what we think of as bad language, although you could include it there, but it's more degrading speech, speech speech that tears people down. What does he say? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification? We're to be speaking things that build people up, not tear them down. And we're to do that face-to-face with people. When we're speaking to people, we ought to be speaking gracious words to them, edifying words to them. But when we're talking about people, you know, you can, you can be uh, destroying somebody's character by gossiping about them, by talking about them behind their back, by saying things about them that aren't true, or by spreading things that you heard somebody else say that you don't really know whether they're true or not, but you haven't even stopped to think whether that might be true. And that would be the opposite of what Paul is saying here. Our speech is to build others up. You know, isn't it amazing how words are so powerful? You know, how you can say something to somebody and just, you can, you, you can do one or two things. You can either slay them through something you say to them, or you can actually just make them so uh, joyful and, and happy to be alive because of, of just something you said. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, There is one who speaks like the piercings of a spear, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. It's so true. It's so true. You can say things to people, and those things could cripple them uh, for a long time. But you could say other things that will just completely bless them and completely promote their well-being. It's amazing. James, of course, talks about the power of the tongue. How this little member, how, this, how, there, how there's so much power in this little member. And, um, of course, he warns there against the, the spreading of, of like a wildfire through the tongue. But let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth. Gracious words, speech that imparts grace. And then he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Now, when he says do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, obviously the things that he's talking about here are the things that will grieve the Spirit. So you see, not only do these things send a bad message to the world, not only do they create uh, the, the wrong environment here in the family among God's people, but they break the heart of God. Sadden, they sadden the heart of God. You know, I said this before recently, but it's so true. You know, when you're, if you have, ever have your children at odds with each other, you know, you love your children, right? And you, you, you love all of them, but then you see them at war with each other. You see them maybe uh, divided up against each other or something like that. I don't have that with my kids, thank God, but uh, I, I know, I can just imagine what, what that's like. Um, you know, that, that is, is so grieving, so grieving to a parent. And so likewise with the Father, our Father, our Heavenly Father. He's grieved when Christians uh, lie to each other. He's grieved when we express anger toward one another. He's grieved if we're ripping each other off. He's grieved if we're saying things that are destructive and tearing people down. And of course, if we're grieving the Spirit, then we're simultaneously uh, hindering the Spirit from the, the blessing that he wants to bring into our lives. So do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And then he says now uh, one more thing. And most of what he's been saying here is the putting off. Of course, he said, um, you know, don't lie, but speak the truth. And don't steal, but work with your own hands. But uh, most of it is the putting off. So last of all, he says in verse 31, he says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So again, put these things away, bitterness, resentment. This is all stuff that's, that's internal. The bitterness, the resentment, it's, it resides there in you. Paul says that needs to be dealt with, that needs to uh, be taken care of because that bitterness will manifest itself in wrath at some point. But put away the wrath. Wrath is the, it's the explosion of anger is really the best way to describe it. Anger can be more of, of a settled state. But wrath is sort of the, it's like the lid blowing off. So there the, the water's boiling uh, with the anger but then suddenly the lid blows off and you know how it is. People are angry people and then one day it all manifests itself in a, in a very obvious way through this wrath, this explosion of that anger. So put all of that away and then clamor. Clamor means or it refers to uh, quarreling, loud quarreling. Boy, and these are things, you know, just, isn't it unpleasant when people quarrel loudly? Ever live next door to somebody who, who, you know, maybe they just fought all the time and at high volumes? And it's not troubling simply because it's noisy. It's troubling because, wow, man, the hatred and all that's flowing there, that's, it's just something that's so uh, unpleasant to the spirit. So put these things away. And then he says, evil speaking could be translated slander, but the, the Greek word is actually the word blaspheme. 
Now, when we talk about blasphemy, we usually think of it in terms of people blaspheming God. Uh, but the, the word really simply means evil speaking. Speaking evil of people. And listen, we're living in a time where even among Christians, it's sort of like, it's, it's, it's like an unrestrained season almost where, where I, I'm just noticing Christians just feel free to speak evil about anybody. And, and lots of times about fellow Christians, about Christian leaders. Well, I don't, I don't agree with this Christian leader. So then they just you know, go on the internet and write a blog or they do a video or something and they just, uh, they slander. They speak evil of the person. God help us. We should never be doing that sort of thing. And I see it all the time. And sometimes I shudder. I just think, wow, man, how could you ever think that that's okay with God for you to say that about one of his servants? You don't agree with his theology? He's not your servant. What is, it, uh, what is that to you? You know, oftentimes I get people telling me, hey, you need to speak out against so-and-so, and you know, this guy's a false teacher, and you, you need to tell people that. Oh, I don't need to do that. And then I'm evil because I won't do it, and so then I become a target. And, you know, I, I just, I'm stunned, but I, my response to that is, who are you to judge another man's servant? That's what the Bible says. These people aren't your servants. If God told them to do this, and I'm not talking about anything that's evil or anything that's uh, you know, radically against scripture. I'm just talking about, you know, God told them to do something that this person thinks, well, I don't think a pastor should do that. Well, so what? Who made you the boss? Who put you in charge? Who said that you're the one that has the right take on everything? You know, but, but this is the kind of mentality that we have in the world today. Um, oh, I better move on here. <laughs> I, 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 could go on, I could go on on this, and then I might end up doing the very thing I'm saying not to do, so <laughs> I better be careful. But we, we can't do this. We can't be like this. And you know, it's not just against Christians. The Bible says, speak evil of no one. Man, how often do we hear Christians speaking out against the president and saying really bad things about the guy? Look, I don't agree with probably 99% of Obama's policies, but I'm not to speak evil of him, nor are you. It's not what we're supposed to do. Speak evil of no man. No, what are we supposed to do for people like that? We're supposed to pray for them. That's what the Bible tells us to do. But like I said, we're living in this time where it's sort of like a free-for-all, where people just suddenly think that I can say anything I want. I've got this platform. Maybe I've got a blog now, or I've got some way I've, I'm able to get this out. And it's the very thing Paul says not to do. It's slander, speaking evil of people. And then he adds one final thing here, and that's um, malice. Maliciousness, and this is the intent to do harm to somebody in some way. All of this is part of the old life. This is part of the sinful life. This is the way we used to live, past tense, 
We're no longer to live this way anymore. This is the putting off. But now he comes to the putting on. And what does he say? He says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also loved us. Be kind. Oh, that's a novel idea, isn't it? To be kind. You know, the Greek word here is an interesting word. The word is Christos. Jesus is the Christos. So the word translated kind and the word translated Christ sound very similar and actually look very similar when they're spelled out. And for the early Christians, they made a connection between those two things. They made the connection that Christ is kind. And of course he was. We need to make that same connection. Christians are kind. At least we should be. We are to be people who display to others kindness and tenderheartedness, not hard-heartedness, tenderheartedness. And the word here could be translated compassion. Is that how people see us? Is that how we relate to one another? Are we kind to each other? Are we compassionate toward one another? And then he adds forgiving one another. And this one, a literal translation is this, acting in grace toward one another. I like that even better than forgiving one another. Because forgiving one another, I mean, we hear that so often, it's almost like, yeah, yeah, forgive, right, right, I heard. But, but this is what it's actually saying, acting in grace toward one another, showing grace to people. Now, I know at the end of the day, what I want God to do for me is I want him to be gracious to me. I want him to show grace to me. And I think you probably do as well. So we're supposed to do that same thing for each other. We're to show grace toward one another. And as he goes on, and of course he says, even as God in Christ forgave you, we're to show people the same kind of grace that God has shown to us. That's the thing. God has shown us his grace. He's poured out his mercy upon us. He's forgiven our sins. Not because we deserved any of this. Oftentimes we hold on to something. We say, well, they don't deserve me uh, to you know, be kind to them. No, they don't. That's where grace comes in. Because you don't deserve the kindness of God. Neither do I. But he's kind to us. And so then being imitators of God as Dear children, how does God treat his enemies? Oh man, he treats them so well. Isn't it amazing? Most of the planet, uh, most people on the planet are the enemies of God. But look how well he takes care of everybody. Look how much he blesses us. Look how good he is. So be imitators of God as his dear children. And here's the kicker finally walk in love. What's that look like? As Christ loved us. Walk in love as Christ loved us. How did Christ love us? Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus loved us right to the point of giving up his life for us. And you see, it's when we are putting off all those old things that we talked about and we're putting on these things, this is where the body of Christ flourishes and this is where the world looks on and says, you know, those Christians got something going over there. I'm, I, I think I need to check that out. But if they don't see anything different with us, 
then they're not going to bother to come around. And so, God, help us. In closing, remember this. All these things we are told to do, the putting off of the old man and the putting on of the new man, are not to make us Christians, but to show to ourselves and the world that we are Christians, sons and daughters of God. You see, this doesn't make. Paul's not saying, do this so you can be a Christian. Paul's saying, do this because you are a Christian. He's not saying, do this so you can become a new man. He's saying, do this because you are a new man. And women are included. A new man or woman. You're a new person in Christ. And this is the way the new person in Christ behaves. So I'm going to close with a quote from C.S. Lewis. And I love this, and I think it connects well with what we're saying here today. He said, God became a man to turn creatures into sons. Not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It is not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. Of course, once it has got its wings, it will soar over fences which could never have been jumped and thus beat the natural horse at its own game. That's so good. It's so true. See, God's not saying, come on, come on, do better. Come on, come on, come on, keep on. You can jump higher than that, come on. He's not doing that. He says, here, take these wings and soar above these things. That's what we can do. That's what we've been able to, in, in able to do. That's what it means. Put on the new man. Live in the spirit. Live in the power of the spirit. You say, but gosh, what about these lies? You know, I've been telling lies for so long or, you know, I've been angry for so long. You know what? Listen, stop it. You're saying, well, I, I don't, I can't. You can. You can stop because Christ is in you. If Christ wasn't in you, I would sympathize. I would say, you know what? You're right. You can't. But you've been given wings. You can soar by the power of the Spirit. You just come to Jesus and say, Lord, uh, you know this anger, you know this tendency toward dishonesty and deceit. Uh, Lord, you know my mouth is, I, I say things that hurt people. Lord, I don't, this, this is all part of the old man. That's dead. Help me to live in the newness of the Spirit. And he will do that. Father, we thank you for your word and the practical application of it to our lives, right where we live, right where we work, right where we connect with people all around us. And Lord, help us to be in that continual habit of putting off the old man and putting on the new. Thank you, Lord, that it's not a matter of trying harder to do better, but it's a matter of recognizing that you've given us wings so we can soar. And may we do that. We will do that by your grace, through your help, 
through Jesus, our Lord. In his name, we pray and we thank you. Amen.